0: Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Robert Shaw. Good everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the round 20 review. We're getting closer to finals action, just four games to go now. More movement at the top of the ladder, some uh, results with huge ramifications, uh, not just for who's going to play finals, but What sort of finals will they be playing in? Uh, We are here to break down every one of those nine games over the last few days. As I say, very good evening to my Footyology podcast co-host, Mr. Robert
1: Shaw. How are you, Shawing? I'm very good. A pretty good weekend of football, Um, you know, culminating in a uh, sensational comeback on the Sunday game, the uh, Tigers versus... Lions was an extraordinary comeback from 42 points down and has had significant ramifications, mate, in ladder positions.
0: Certainly has. Uh, of course, we are here as we are every show for our wonderful podcasting partners in Palmerbet. They give you tackle-busting benefits all this AFL season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. Indeed, major ramifications. I guess the headlines out of this round... Um, And uh, developing late in the piece, the second last game of round 20, the one with big ramifications for the top of the ladder. Brisbane falling from third place to fifth and moving into the top four. Gee, for the first time in a long, long time, uh, Sydney have gone from sixth to fourth on the ladder after their seventh win from the last nine games. So Geelong, a game clear and top. Melbourne and Collingwood in third spot. What would the price have been about that at the start of a season? Both on 14 wins. Sydney on 13th. They are fourth on percentage ahead of Brisbane. They are about 3% ahead of the Lions. Fremantle, a game further back in sixth spot. Starting to worry about them now. Carlton in seventh spot. Worrying about them too. They've got a tough run home. Uh, 7th spot, 12 wins, and St Kilda in 8th spot on 11 wins. Half a game ahead of Richmond, of course, with that draw. They are ninth on 42 points. Western Bulldogs on 40 points. And then Gold Coast, still some sort of remote chance of finals. Two games outside the 8th. so just a fascinating scenario with a
1: month to go, isn't it? Well, it's great, and that's, uh, you know, people who love their footy like we do and watch all the games uh, one way or the other, we um, it was just fantastic. And as I said, um, it was a riveting afternoon uh, this afternoon, Rowan. There's no doubt about that, and I can't wait to talk about that later on in the review. Correct, but uh, we've got to go wind the clock back.
0: Now to Friday night and the start of the round 20 action. A lot to talk about. Let's rip into it. On Footiology, wrap around. Round 20 kicked off on Friday evening in Perth with a massive game at Optus Stadium. Uh, big ramifications for both combatants in this game. They were Fremantle and Melbourne, of course, and this was a very, very impressive win by the Demons. A, uh, what would you call it? A defensive tour de force almost. They strangled the life out of the Dockers and they ended up with a very, very convincing uh, 46 point win. Gee, my maths is ordinary. Uh, the final scores Melbourne 12, 13, 85 defeating the Dockers 5-9-39. The goal kickers for the Ds, three to Fritch, three to Pickett, two to Spargo, singles, the rest. And for the Dockers, just three goal kickers, uh, Frederick and Walters two each, and the other miserable single goal to Griffin Logue playing up forward again. Uh, Well, right from the start, Robert, the, the Ds, just fanatical, defensive pressure and hunger for the contest. And um, that's been missing for, uh, or it's certainly been down. There's been enough said and, and written about the figures showing that that's down, but uh, they bought the heat. I thought no one exemplified that better really than their former skipper, Jack Viney, who he was just outstanding. 33 disposals, 16 of them contested four clearances thought he set the tone and uh, the Dockers just never look like getting a sniff, did they?
1: Look, uh, you've made some great points there. Um, the question, the general question, is you know we've we've uh, discussed it. Can you can you flick the switch? Well, apparently you can. Mm. It's like they've been watching replays of the best of Melbourne from last year e- every day this week. Had it on the plane. Had it on the bus going to the ground. But. They, well, they were sensational.
0: Well, perhaps also, and I, I'm not saying this facetiously, perhaps just being back at the venue where they won the premiership gave them a bit of a whiff. I mean, they they love this ground.
1: Well, um, I can't remember who got interviewed before the game, but they actually, re- yeah, we're, we're um, oh, it was Big Stafford, the rug coach. Was Oh, name. yeah, Greg Stafford, yeah. yeah, yeah. He said, no, no, we're home, we're here. Yeah, yeah. It's no, and, um, and he wasn't being a, 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 a smart-ass, Rowan. He was just saying, yeah, we're very comfortable here. Look, there were some interesting moves made. Um, Petrarca starting out of the centre square. You've highlighted Viney. Um, because of the um, focus on Oliver and Petrarca as the two-gun midfielders, I'm, I'm not sure you can say Viney flies under the radar. Mm. But in the pecking order, technically, Rowan, he's third cab off the rank. Yeah. And he's had an outstanding year. Yeah, and look, the other uh, I, g- I guess
0: move, if you like, Angus Brayshaw has been playing off half back. He went into midfield as well. Twenty eight disposals up forward. Fritch, he's you know where he's been. We've criticised him. I thought he got his A game back and uh, three goals to him. Kazai Pickett, terrific at ground level. And you know the other significant thing talking about that midfield, it meant that they could afford to have a quieter game from clayton oliver who was brilliantly shut down by james H. um now oliver ended up with 21 disposals that's small bickies indeed for him H. by the way had 28 he was clearly um the dockers best player the other winner actually for the dockers alex pierce who held sam wederman to one goal monday not bad 35 and, and 10 clearances will Brody 35 as well but Melbourne just had uh, more contributors in more parts of the ground don't you think
1: Yeah and 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 just along he tried things he had uh, Griffin Lowe go to Stephen May to break up that uh, significant partnership for Melbourne but um that didn't work and you've got to consider how good Melbourne were not only individually in the back half but certainly their ground defence in the fact that Tabana and Lob went goalless for the mm-hmm. Melbourne Football Club, and and that's with uh, Griffin Logue uh, trying to take Stephen May out of the ground. Um, I'm glad you mentioned Aish, that was good, but it's hard to do, Rowan, and you've got to consider that Mundy and Brody had 35 each, so this wasn't technique, even though there were individual battles, you summed it up in your first couple of sentences when you said this was a strangulation by the Melbourne team, not so much by... Um, not so much by individual matchups. This was a, a, a consummate team performance based on what we know Melbourne are capable of doing. And um, I know we'll talk about it later, but uh, two clear-cut grand finalists have emerged from this weekend, if not before. We've been waiting for Melbourne. We've known about Geelong, but we've got a little bit of a reminder that um, this is going to be quite an intriguing final series.
0: I reckon Melbourne is a good example of, uh, you know, I mean, they went from being a very good team last year to a great team on the back of increased scoring power, but a lot of that came off the back of how good their defence was. And I I felt this way about this game as well, and probably proof of that. I mean, they didn't rack up a huge score, but inside 50 count, 60-40. So they've racked up 60 Forward entries and so much of that off the back of defence. A couple of names I want to throw up to that end: uh, Michael Hibbert. Um, I reckon he's more important to them than people realise. You know, we're we're both fans for sentimental reasons. I love the pig. Um, I always think Melbourne's a better side when Jaden Hunt's in it and uh, providing that dash off half back. So they give him just a little bit more zip out of defence as
1: well. And and. Uh, on the on the counter side, it was the only way. This is a problem for for Longmuir because unless Walker got it in his hands, that dashing defender, or Young got it in his hands off half back, it uh, Fremantle looked powerless to move the ball round. Absolutely powerless, and unless those exciting runners for Fremantle were able to dissect the the press, um, they had no clue. As to how to move the ball through Melbourne's uh, through Melbourne strangulation.
0: You know, I, I always uh, I've been a bit iffy about Freo all year, as you know. And one of the things yeah. up forward too. Now you know, starved of opportunity, but Matt Taverner and Rory Lobb. Can you count on them? You know, I, I just they're not. Are they dependable enough, those two?
1: Not having a go, at Roy Lob. For a bloke that moves around a bit and changes clubs, and already put his, uh, it appears to have put his hand up for uh, free agency, and clubs lining up. Um, what sort of careers he had, Rowan? Yeah, y- well, you with me?
0: Up, uh, yeah, yeah, I am absolutely up and down. I think he's a bit, he's a bit hit or miss. I think if you're going to sort of, yeah, you know, be that sort of uh,
1: most wanted tall forward, you, you know,
0: got, you've got to deliver a bit more consistently. Um, Yeah, no, I think we're on the same page there. So, look, bottom line, fantastic win by the Ds. I did tweet, they're back in town, and people said, what, on the back of one performance? But I reckon they have flicked the switch. I think you're going to see their best consistently. Now, I'll tell you what, we're going to get a good indicator next week because they are in a massive Friday night game. Back to the 50s, Robert. It's Melbourne against Collingwood. Uh, Hopefully for the Pies, not a similar result. Uh, in most of those clashes, um, you might
1: be able to tell me what's that like, wrong, because I wasn't born. <laughs> yeah, no, neither was I. But I've been reading,
0: <laughs> been reading no. a fair bit about the Melbourne's, Glo- uh, Melbourne's glory days lately. Yeah, uh, really good book by. Who's home point. ground?
1: Who's have you got the? Is that Melbourne's home game? It is Melbourne's home yeah, game.
0: Okay, uh, that is seven fifty p.m. next Friday night, August oh. the fifth. The demons. And the Pies, the Dockers, well, they've got a challenge to rebound as well. They come to Melbourne and they have got a Saturday twilight game, 4.35 p.m. against the Western Bulldogs, uh, who will be a bit uh, cheesed off as well after their result this weekend. So good challenge there for the Dockers to respond and high stakes attached there. All right, that was a big Friday night game. Let's move on to Saturday. Saturday afternoon saw a game at the MCG between Collingwood and Port Adelaide. And uh, as we've come to expect, it was close. And as we've come to expect, Collingwood won the close one by six points this time. The final scores, Collingwood 13-10, 88, defeating Port Adelaide 12-10, 82. The goals, Ginnerman 3, Degoe 2, Hoskin Elliott 2, Elliott, two, singles, the rest. And for Port, two to Boke, two to Powell Pepper, two to Butters, and singles, the rest. Uh, tight all day, this one. Um, the Pies got an early jump. Port hit back, uh, neck and neck. But like I said, th- this is just turning into one of the phenomenal seasons. Collingwood has now won, if you're not across this, and you probably are. Collingwood has now won nine out of 10 games decided by 11 points or less this season. And just to contrast, and this to me is significant because I think it proves that they have really improved and learned. Last year, they played in six games decided by 12 points or less and lost five of them. It's just a complete mirror image of that result. Uh, Port kicked five goals in a row early uh, in that first term. Collingwood, importantly, two in the last minute. Um, The Pies then got on top. They worked their way to a 23-point lead uh, early in the third quarter. And by then, they'd kicked nine out of the previous 10 goals. But Port, to their credit, and they've really been gutsing it out lately, even in defeat, Uh, four goals to two their way in the last quarter, last couple to Georgiades and uh, Burgoyne gave them a real sniff. Um, Jack Ginevan, the high tackle debate rolls on another controversial one there after a high tackle by Robbie Gray wasn't paid to uh, terrific early important Ginevan uh, important too, not just for the tackle, but three goals. Uh, but what do you say, Robert? They just, they keep winning the close ones. They are, and people keep telling me they're not no good, and they'll get found out, and they won't win the close ones when it counts. But they're winning, and they're up there, and uh, credit to them, they've had a fantastic season.
1: Oh, I'm with you. I, 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 it's an old saying: the ladder doesn't lie, and you deserve to be there. And people will say, "Oh, but if you took those four off, they wouldn't be in it." Okay, yeah, right. well, let yeah, we do have to wait to the finals. Um. But they've had a great year because they've come from 17th and they're pushing the top four. Port actually dominated this game in possessions, but one of the things I thought they did do, they tried to run and they had 180 handballs. And uh, that's a lot for me, Rowan. Where I thought Collingwood, their efficiency uh doesn't get some out of trouble. Um and and they're really, really well organized. And I know we've been saying this for uh, some time. It was even all across the board, despite the fact that Port won the contested ball, they won the clearances, they won the uncontested possessions, but Port were in front for 59 minutes and Collingwood were in front for 57 minutes. So it gives you an indication of how close the game was.
0: You know, um, I feel like Collingwood's defence perhaps doesn't get enough credit for the work it does now. Port have been, uh, you know, since Dixon came back, Marshall's had a good season, Georgiardi's threatens. You know, you've got a forward set up with Dixon, Marshall, Georgiardi's. That's pretty dangerous. Ben Lason
1: no, in the ruck, changing you know, with Dixon. Yeah. yeah,
0: no, no, exactly. But they were really well held. So, you know, who are we talking about here? We're talking about Darcy Moore, obviously. But, um, you know, the likes of uh, Nathan Murphy, you know, I think he's been good for the Pies. Jeremy Howe, I thought, very good too. Braden Maynard. You know, he's. I'm not saying he's an unsung hero. The Pies love him, but as a collective, I'm not sure their defence necessarily gets the support it's it, it deserves. And I thought well, they were really important in this win.
1: You should listen to this uh footyology podcast that Ron, Colin, Robert Shaw do. They've been alluding to this for a long time. <laughs> yeah. But one of the strengths of the Pies has been the settled defence. And even though I have a a, a vested interest in the development of a young player that I taught and coached at uh, Brighton Grammar, Um, you're right about Nathan Murphy. You've got got coaches' votes. He's been a critical third string to the Moore-Howell discussion and match-up. And then you've got Quainor and Maynard. It's a very good back line. They lost Roughhead, who was their full-back, through injury. So even though they've been good in other positions with the ground, one of the keys to success, Ron, is a settled back six. They've got it in spades.
0: They have. And, um, you know, talking about the younger players, Gino, Ginovan has been a factor, but you can, and this has had plenty of publicity, but the the courses. Now, we've all, you know, we've raved about Nick. Josh has had a bit of publicity, but he is having a wonderful season. And I love the way that he seems to have been spurred on by the, emergence of his brother. I, I thought he was close to Collingwood's best in this game. Um, ended up with uh, 26 disposals, uh, almost 700 metres gained. He's just been a, a constant source of drive for them. And the two Dacos boys have just given them such a energy and spark and they're so creative. Um, wonderful pickups for them. And you know what? I love the fact too, and uh, you know, and I, again, it's a bit of a cliche, but... Just the continuation of bloodlines. The father-son rule is such an important part of our game now. At a time when sides of sort of clubs lose their geographic identity and it's harder for them to, to carry tradition on in the future. You know, to have two decos performing in that side, as well as a more, by the way. Um, you know, that's that's great to see, I reckon.
1: And and let's and and linked into that, let's uh give uh Kenny Hinkley's team, a bit of a, uh, a tick here because of the respect they showed for 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 young Dacos. Uh, Sam Pepper Powell, Powell Pepper, went to him. <laughs> yeah. Am I right?
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, right either way. It's Powell Pepper.
1: Powell Pepper went to him in a defensive forward but really worked him over physically, really tried to sort him out, really tried to find some question marks, kicked a couple of goals on him. So that's a a, a great mark of respect to... Um, a bloke in his, what, 17th or 18th game.
0: How do you think Peter Piper went? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and look, uh, while we're on port, you know, credit to them for having plugged away too. They've been pretty stiff, really. You know, they lost to the Dockers by eight points, pushed Melbourne all the way in, in uh, Alice Springs, 14 points there. Only went down by a couple of goals to the Cats and now... The gold of the pie. So it's probably, well, you yeah, know, it's pretty much definitely end of the penny section for them. But um, even though they were, you know, preliminary finalists last year, I don't think they, this year's been a total writer for them. They've found a, a bit of resilience lately.
1: And they've uh, moved. The, the likes of, they've, they've had some wins. And one of the big wins is, you know, we saw um, uh, Rosie continue his uh, emergence as a real A-grade midfielder with 35 possessions.
0: Indeed. Uh, Let's talk about next week now the Pies. As we mentioned before, that massive Friday night game against Melbourne, 7.50pm at the MCG. Be there. And Port, uh, they have a Saturday evening clash, 7.40pm Eastern Time, against Richmond. Uh, Big one for the Tigers at least, and Port pretty keen to knock over a contender at home. All right. Uh, that was one Saturday afternoon game. There was another one going on in Sydney. Well a Sydney Derby or Derby or Battle of the Bridge or whatever you want to call it. It was on at the SCG and uh it was a smashing and Sydney continuing its great recent form with a thumping 12 goal plus win over GWS. The final scores Sydney 1710 112, defeating GWS, just 5-9-39. Goalless for two quarters, the Giants. Pretty lame performance. The goal kickers for the Swans, three to Reed, three to Franklin, three to Heaney, two to Papley, two to Goulden. Singles, the rest, good spread of goal kickers there, nine. And for GWS, just one multiple goal kicker, Toby Green with two. Well, um the... Tail of a tape. Well, the Swans now 7-2 over their last nine games. So they really have uh, shifted into top gear. This was competitive for about 20 minutes, but the Swans just went up a gear and uh, away they went. Six goals to three by quarter time. Six goals the difference by halftime with the Giants held goalless in that second term. Four goals to two in the third and then another four goals to another goalless quarter. In the last, it was a smashing Robert Luke Parker, the absolute standout here 34 disposals, six tackles, six clearances. Won his third consecutive Brett Kirk medal um, for obviously the game between Sydney and GWS, and his fifth Brett Kirk medal overall. And now, no, I'm not, oh, I thought you were laughing because you thought I was going to quote that memorable uh, dialogue Brett Kirk gave nah, us in his final seven days, but I won't.
1: <laughs> Um, uh, The good signs, right? The obvious. Uh, you mentioned Parker, Rowan, but uh, don't forget the experienced players of Franklin, three goals, Reed three and Heaney three, had really good days. But we continue to say it, and, and we've been on this bandwagon since our season preview, and, and I see them slotting into that next line of betting underneath Melbourne and Geelong. I really do. And it's the emergence of these young Players. Goulden had an amazing day. Thirty-three possessions. He also had ten inside fifties. And there's a young kid called James Rowbottom. Love now him. The, sorry. Love him. Yeah, but apparently Rowan, he's going to be replaced by Josh Kennedy, who's just waiting in the wings. But I've got some news for those that uh, are hoping or wishing that would happen. That's not going to happen. And and John lawmore summed it up. He said, "Look, we're going to need Josh. He'll be around." Um, but we've got no plans because we're happy for the way it's going. Rowbottom is not under pressure from Josh Kennedy in any way, shape or form.
0: I actually think Robottom, and you can ask your predecessor on this podcast about uh, my love for Robottom. I actually think he's a more senior voice in this side than people realise. And he, he emerged, you know, we talk about the young players and we love all of them, but he emerged before most of them, just got a bit more experience under his belt. And he's a a harder edge than most of those kids too. No disrespect to them at all. But, I mean, he's a naturally um, competitive beast with a physical sort of game. And he's from that point of view, he's really important to them. And I think, you know, him sort of coming back and playing the sort of footy he is has made them a tougher side, which they needed to be, I think. That was perhaps the one question mark about him, don't you think?
1: Oh, absolutely! So you've you dropped off your boy McInerney?
0: No, no, I love him. He's just he's right having on. a quiet spell. It's all about the Chad at the moment. The Chad. Um, <laughs> oh, of course. Clients, in fact, it was about there was about the Chad the other day uh, with some other stuff going on. But
1: oh, we'll pass that one. Um, just a couple of things. Rum five nine thirty nine in a game of football, even though they lost Caniglia. That's no excuse for um, a team of this. Um, I'm not sure what's going on there. People will say, oh, you, you know, I think we've called it pretty hard on this group, even though we have some uh, familiar acquaintances in the coaches' box. Their performance is unacceptable, 5 9 39. Um, You had no pressure, and the highlight of the no pressure was the fact that Blakey and McCartan had 20 intercept marks. That's not competitive. They're reading the play, good on them, but that means no one's laying a glove off them. They're...
0: Well, how how about allowing sixty-eight inside fifties to your opposition?
1: <sighs> Unbelievable. I had it 72 to 49.
0: Oh, okay. I had 68 to 36 either way. It's too... uh, I,
1: well, let's just let's just uh say unacceptable either way. I'm not sure where we got that. They had 118 more disposals and they had 20 tackles. Inside their fifty, so Sydney's pressure was there to see, and the and the shining light was um, like it would have. They might have, like the score could have been anything had it not been for Taylor at fullback. He's an exceptional player, and they've just got to be careful that someone doesn't come along and pinch him if he's not locked in there because he he's a star in a poor team. Um
0: and sadly for us because we we're, we're both fans but um this has cost um Spike McVeigh any chance of the coaching gig you'd think wouldn't you
1: he was travelling well if he's uh, I'm not sure how many games he's coached let's say let's let's pluck 10 games right he had five very good ones and then five poor games and uh, and he keeps raising the question that they've checked out um Yes, that's the responsibility of the players first and foremost. The senior leadership that keeps them on track, and we're not going to give up. But there also is responsibility for the coaching group to motivate and direct and to um, to push them to, to give their best. They're not giving their best regardless of whether they are winning or losing, and um, that's pretty sad.
0: Yeah, no, it's been a, it's been a really poor. Uh, month or so by the Giants. Uh, All right, let's have a look at what's on the agenda for these two next week. The Swans come to Melbourne next Sunday and have a game against North Melbourne at Marvel Stadium. That one is at 1.10pm. And the Giants, well, uh, could be a a sort of Essendon derby, (laughs) the coaching panel anyway. Uh, GWS taking on Essendon at Giants Stadium. That one is at 2.10 p.m. on Saturday afternoon. All right, so that was two Saturday Arvo games. Let's talk about Saturday Twilight. <laughs> Marvel Stadium was the venue for a clash between St Kilda and Hawthorne. Yep, a rematch of a 1971 grand final. Yep. I always think of that game when I think of these two sides. I guess it was pretty famous. Uh, it ended up... Well, not the same result because the Saints got up and won by 12 points in the end. The final scores, St Kilda, 10-15-75, defeating disappointing Hawthorne for the best part, 9-9-63. Just one multiple goal kicker for the Saints. That was Max King, who kicked two singles, all the rest. And for the Hawks, two to Newcomb, two to Scrimshaw and singles the rest. Well, this for probably, I don't know, 90% of the game was a bit of a cakewalk for the Saints. Uh they were heading towards a very comfortable win. Seven unanswered goals they kicked between the first and third quarters. Uh the Hawks went a long time without being able to score a major and they uh racked up a lead as high as 44 points in that time. However, the Hawks then turned around and kicked eight of the last 10 goals, including the final five goals of the game. And uh it wasn't one of those phony comebacks because uh Luke Bruce kicked the last of them, and the margin was 12 points with a bit under six minutes to play. So the Saints uh, you know, look, they've got the win in the end, but Geez, I don't know what happened there. They did sort of mentally uh, check out some big pluses for them. I guess the thing they'd be happiest about individually was the return of uh, Dan Hannabury He has played so little football. This is the 16th time out of a possible 82 games he's played for the Saints since making that move at the end of 2018. But he was really good for them. 27 disposals, uh, five clearances and kicked a goal. So look, bottom line, the Saints got the win they needed to get in the race for that uh, spot in the eight. But uh, yeah, probably want to switch on for a whole game next time, Robert.
1: Yeah, and it was good to see Bob Keddie get on top of Gary Colling <laughs> in that last <laughs> quarter.
0: Ah, very uh, good. Uh,
1: that you started
0: the seventy-one. What, what about Peter Hudson's ear hanging off?
1: <laughs> hey, listen, one goal five at half time, Ron. You know, in, in pristine conditions under the roof by Hawthorne, I was bullish for Hawthorne. I apologise. I made a mistake. I thought their pace would decimate. I had them winning by 31 points. Um, But the thing about these two sides, they're a model of inconsistency. Uh, St Kilda bought their pressure game. Uh, It's totally dismantled what Hawthorne wanted to do and run they found a young player in Marcus Windhager who did a really good job. Newcomb got away a little bit later on and was somewhat instrumental in the comeback. But he was excellent in that uh, early phase of the game. And, of course, I, I thought, gee, no rider, McAvoy, they're, they're going to run Marshall into the ground physically. Mate, as he turned it on, 30 disposals, nine score involvements, 35 hit out, seven tackles, seven clearances, best on the ground. So I've had a shocker. I was like Hawthorne's first half. I've had a Barry Crocker in my tipping in this game.
0: Well, I wanted to ask you about this because when we previewed it, I, I made a big deal of St Kilda's recent record against them, right? So they'd won the previous two games both by 69 points, I think. They were seven goals plus up in this one. Yeah. So I don't know how much importance you attached to the last one. So that looks to me pretty conclusive evidence of a side that has the number of another side. I wonder how relevant Brett Ratton's time at Hawthorne is.
1: Yeah, well, I think it always helps. Yeah. But Ratton was there with um, Clarkson. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mitchell, he would have known how Mitchell thinks. There's no doubt about that. I think there would have been a 10% factor, which Rowan could be quite significant. Um mm. They've certainly um, Ratton hasn't coached Newcomb, but they made him the number one priority. Wilkie did a great job on Gunston. Ratten would know the importance of Gunston, and of course he would also know that maybe McAvoy doesn't like a running ruckman. He doesn't mm-hmm. like. So there are three or four things that could have quite been significant in his opposition analysis
0: better in defence the Saints to Sharman uh, reasonably impressive back there and um, uh, Payton, uh, Patton sorry I know, it's 1T it should be Patton but anyway it's Patton um, I thought those two pretty good for the Saints back in defence as well
1: they um yeah, I, I I I give them a big tick. They'd shut down their mobility. Like, don't forget the Saints only had five goals, seven at half time, Ryan. It's not and and when I saw the score, well, I'm watching the game, when I looked at the score, I'm going, gee, if, if the Hawks they left their run too late, they it was a genuine comeback. It wasn't like you've been ten goals down and kicked the last four or five and you lose by thirty points. This was a genuine comeback, but um We would have to say it's a tick to the Saints. I I think it's a real cross to the Hawks because they won three, they beat a a dubious opposition, but as I suggested, I thought it would give them the confidence to really run the Saints. It didn't come out that way.
0: Actually, one more on the Saints. Uh, Mitch Owens, like him, he gives them a bit of zip, only a a late inclusion, but they they look better for him too, don't they?
1: A couple of weeks ago when, when yes, he was a late in June. The, the Saints people were up in arms because the Hanbury owens um, thing was dissected. You know, a lot of St Kilda people say, oh, Owens is out and we bring in, you know, it got Hanabry, quite nasty. Yeah. We bring yeah. in Lethleen's mate and oh, it got quite nasty on social media, which it does, Rowan. Yeah. But there was a big query, we've got to go with Owens. So well done Dan Hannabury on backing up the selection.
0: Yeah, it gets nasty on social media, does it? Does Gee, it I, really? Yeah, well, well, I, 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 I didn't I, know that. No, I've had no experience of that whatsoever. <laughs> uh, all right, let's all talk right. about uh, these two sides, what is on the agenda for them. The Hawks, uh, they have a game at their second home in Launceston, and that one is against Gold Coast. That is Saturday afternoon at 1.45, and the Saints, well... Doesn't get any tougher than this one. The oh, Saints no. go down the Geelong Road to the Cattery, oh. GMHBA Stadium, 7 25 PM. And they take on the undefeated. Well, undefeated for what seems like ever. Seems like. Uh ten in a row. Uh, the Cats. So massive challenge for them.
1: Gee, back to back games at the uh at uh Kadini Park.
0: To the Cats, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, that that happens. All right, Uh All right. that was Saturday Twilight. Let's talk about Saturday evening. Well, this was a massive game and much anticipated, and a big challenge to the Western Bulldogs, who had to head down to the Cattery and try and upend the all-conquering Cats. Could they do it? Well, no, they couldn't. Uh, They started well, they certainly started well, but the Cats uh, took charge and then absolutely got a hold of them in a dominating third quarter, which we'll talk about in a sec. Geelong winning this in the end by 28 points, 14-10-94 to the Western Bulldogs 9-12-66 Goal kickers, two to Cameron, two to Hawkins, two to Guthrie, two to Rowan, two to Stengel and singles the rest for the Doggies. Three to Waitman, um, battled away pretty impressively up forward. Two to Dunkley, two to Hagen, Jamari uh, Jamara Ugelhagen, two goals to him and singles to English and Johanesson and uh, of course, massive occasion, uh, Joel Selwood his 350th game and great scenes post-game when uh, basically the whole crowd paid tribute to him and he went around and paid tribute to them and everyone else who turned up for the occasion. Uh, It was very well done by the Cats. Um, But, well, 34-year-old Joel Selwood, he looks set for his 15th final series. Uh, It's only been one year he hasn't played finals and uh, what a performance by him. Just while we're talking about Selwood, only Michael Tuck has played more finals than Joel. 39 finals to Tucky. Joel is up to 37 now. So it uh, looks like that might tumble this year as well. Now, I said the doggy started well. 18 minutes into this first quarter, it was four goals, two to nothing. And the Bulldogs were dominant. 10 inside 50s to four at that stage. 10 clearances to three. 22 contested possessions to 11. And four to zip Mark's inside 50. They were dominant. They were still 11 points up <clears throat> at, at halftime too. But I mentioned that third term, Robert. In under 13 minutes, uh, the Cats clocked up nine inside 50s, five goals, and then added another three. Third quarter stats in the finish. They had 30 more disposals. They had five more clearances. The inside 50s were 18-8. Eight, and the final most important stat here in the wash-up, Eight goals, two to just three behinds, game over. It was an absolute blistering quarter of footy by the Cats and it just had where a premiership team written all over it. I thought, what do you think? An
1: avalanche starts with a drop of snow.
0: Oh, yes, Grasshopper. That's uh, Where'd that come from?
1: Uh, off the top of my head. And that <laughs> drop of snow, I'm, I'm going somewhere here, a drop of snow was... A deplorable down the field free kick for hardly any contact. Uh that got Geelong up and going after three quarter time. Who and was that kicked, on? Um who kicked the goal from the goal square? No, nah, it was on the half forward flank, the far half forward flank, right of screen, right, heading okay. down to the Barwon River End. It'll come to us, Keep And going. I should have written it down. So Don't worry. um but that was no excuse. If, if, if the Western Bulldogs are going to drop their bundle because of that, but having said that, the, the, the 15 inside 50s after that went for eight goals, as you said, and um, they were just... Look, Western Bulldogs, I'm looking at them. They had a good game plan. They, were only, they kicked the ball very well. They dominated loose play out of the centre bounce and around stoppages through Bond and Pelly, Dunkley and Liberatory. I thought they used the ball smart. They didn't go long to Stewart, they didn't bomb it high and they hit their targets. Now, for three quarters, the Western Bulldogs scored 9-9 nine, nine to 6-8. So they, they weren't terrible, Rowan, but they have got decimated in, in probably the best uh, quarter of football I've seen this year. Out of the centre bounce, direct, quick, into their forward line, unstoppable, Geelong.
0: Well, the Cats have always been able to do this, even in previous seasons. I remember a game against Brisbane up at the Gabba a couple of years ago, they did this. So they've always been capable of those bursts, but it's like they wanted to play more of that tempo game. Well, now the balance is better between the size of game and they can still slow it up when they need to. But boy, when they, uh, you know, sort of put the, the foot to the floorboards, uh, they can score so quickly. I'd, I'd say, in fact, they and Melbourne, probably uh, the two best teams at, at you know, stacking on a, a pile of scores in a very short period. Straight out of the middle. Yeah, go
1: on. When did you last see that happen against the Dogs? A very significant game last year. It has been Melbourne did it to them, didn't Yeah, they? yeah, yeah. You've done yeah. it to them twice.
0: Yep. Um, Straight out of I, the centre. I just wanted to mention yeah. and um, Paddy Dangerfield because... Uh, he's had his quiet moments this season, but he was just fantastic. 26 disposals, 10 contested, 7 score involvements, but a couple of passages in that third quarter. What about that one where right from the centre bounce? He won the clearance, fired it up, just launched himself at the ball and just forced it forward with just you know brute strength and, and will to, to win the contest. I thought he was superb for them.
1: I think the Bulldogs have had enough practice at teams doing this to them. They knew it was coming. They'd had a very good half of football, a very good half of football. They were on track. The game plan was working. Um, did they see this coming? Do you ever see 8-4 to 0-3 coming? The problem for them was that Norton and Bruce went goalless against De Koning, Stewart and Henry. And I must say, and I feel sorry for him, I've been in the same position, Josh Bruce is not the player he was, he is lacking mobility, he's lacking agility with that knee, I'm not saying he's not right, because he wouldn't be playing, he's lost his spring and his pace, but it all comes down to confidence. I don't reckon the young bloke's got his confidence back yet, Rowan. And uh, this is a bit of a process. It may, in fact, be another pre-season for him to get that back. He doesn't look really comfortable out there at the moment.
0: You know, the one guy we had mentioned him previously, but he deserves a wrap in the context of this game too. He's had a terrific season, Ed Richards. Um, I thought he was close to the doggies' best in this game, and he's he's had a wonderful year.
1: I had a good day today. He won the uh, Lou Richards handball on the Channel Seven uh, football oh, show. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I th- yeah. I think he got a close win over Hayden Crozier. So hey, he's had a good weekend. Yes, correct, Ron.
0: <laughs> and uh, Lou Richards' grandson, for people unaware, I think. Or
1: granduncle, or yeah, I think isn't he, he is. Yeah, isn't he grandson. He's uh, well. It's very, very close to either or. There is no yeah. doubt about that. Um, they'll have a look at Gary Rowan with the uh, with the concussion. Oh, Backer Cumis, I was worried about him having to pick up Rowan because Fritch did a bit of a number on him last week. But credit to the kid, he uh, he hung in there. Given the fact that they they uh, they released Alex Keith, Gardner was okay. Like the numbers for Hawkins and Cameron weren't excessive, so yeah. I think the matchups went pretty well. Uh, Richards was good. But it was the weight of numbers, this extraordinary avalanche, as I said, uh, that came at them, kicking to the Bowen River end, Rowan.
0: Incidentally, just on the the greater zip the Cats have in their armory this year, I reckon that's only going to get better too. Uh, We saw uh, Brandon Parfitt come on to replace Gary Rowan. I think Parfitt's an important player for the Cats and uh, he's been out of the side injured, but... He gives them more of that dash and creativity and, uh, you know, he'll be in their best 22, I've got no doubt about that. And uh, with the likes of him and the other speedsters and young zippy forwards uh, we've spoken about, they will be much better placed to challenge the likes of Melbourne particularly and, yeah, go
1: on. Yeah, but just the link to that was I noticed – We've talked about this new versatility and adaptability of Geelong. There was an occasion where Gary Rowan was actually in the centre bounce too. Yep. So that's another indication of the flexibility that Geelong can throw at you.
0: Yep, no, very good point. All right, let's talk about these sides next week. Uh, the doggies—they have got a uh, good test at Marvel Stadium, four thirty-five PM Saturday. Take on Fremantle, who will be desperate oh. for a win. And the Cats, they are at home again and up against the Saints. That one Saturday evening, 7.25pm. Okay, uh, one more Saturday night game, and that one was in Adelaide. Adelaide Oval was the scene of this game between Adelaide and Carlton. And an upset. And uh, a pretty comfortable win in the end to the Crows, who were really impressive. They won by 29 points over the disappointing Blues. Adelaide, 12-12-84, defeating Carlton 8-7-55. The goals, 3 to Keys, 3 to Walker, 2 to Fogarty. Singles, the rest for the Blues, 2 to Charlie Kerno, 2 to Cottrell who uh, breathed a bit of life into them briefly and singles the rest. Well, the Blues started well, Rob. They were up three goals to one towards the end of the first quarter. But there was a moment I thought was pivotal. In fact, this is a game with a couple of pivotal moments, two of them delivered by the same bloke. That guy was Darcy Fogarty. Now, he took a ripper of a mark, a real hanger, right at the end of the first quarter and then proceeded to kick a terrific goal, after the siren from the tightest of angles. I thought that gave the Crows a real lift when they needed it. So they went into quarter time just a couple of points down rather than three goals to one. And he gave them another lift with a terrific goal in the last quarter where uh, with brute strength, he shrugged off about three would-be tacklers and then snapped another goal, which basically... Sealed their win. What else was important for the Crows? Taylor Walker just having an outstanding season. He kicked three goals, but a really uh, important move and important player for them. Ben Keys, who played as a negating forward on the Blues, Adam Sard did it beautifully and also kicked three goals in the pro- process and set up several more. Robert, they uh, full credit to the Crows. They were really, really impressive.
1: Well. They smashed them physically, and this is a very good reminder of Carlton about what's to come. Because um, I still expect them to win their one. You know, they might pinch two, but I tell you what, you'll go through it uh, at the end of this summary. What Carlton have got in front of them, so there's no certainty. And that, and while we in our preview thought, "Geez, you just got to be careful here." You know, this is this is the one game where you could tip an upset. Uh, the Blues did lose some players to injury, but a very well planned. You mentioned the Keys to Sard one to take your best midfielder or your second best midfielder uh, with Rory lead out of the midfield shows a, a respect to Sard's domination this season. But all the fact that if you put a smart player on him, uh, Saad, he'll keep attacking the ball, wanting to set up Carlton, and-, and Keys are smart enough to kick goals on him. In hindsight, I don't like it. In hindsight but they went tall, didn't they? They brought in Pitney. Is he good enough, round to be an automatic selection? Because I thought De Koning has been one of the success stories out of the year and forcing Silvani out, Mackay, Pitney, De Koning, Kurnow, did they go a little bit top-heavy?
0: Well, yeah, no, I think it's a really good question. And always, I don't know, maybe it's a hangover from Football Park, but I think Adelaide night games, I always think a little bit slippery, a little bit greasy, perhaps not uh, optimal conditions for big men. So I I think that's a a really uh, reasonable point. Now, uh, some credit where it's due for the Blues, Patrick Cripps, 41 disposals, 21 of them contested, 13 clearances, Sam Walsh had 40 touches too. But uh, I guess that's a little bit symptomatic of where they were at. It's sort of like back to the old days, that dependence on a couple of midfielders in particular, wasn't it? Yeah. They lost Corey Durden uh, with that shoulder injury, injury didn't help. Newman with the knee injury, didn't help. Matthew Kennedy, concussion. So that probably in a way sort of explains that, doesn't it? Ramifications there. Uh, with Matthew Kennedy for next week's game, uh, which I'll get to in a minute. Uh, you talked about weird 32 disposals for him. Brady Smith, thirty-seven disposals for him. Um Jack Silvani, interesting omission for the Blues. Now he came on as medical sub and ended up having an impact.
1: So why do they
0: omit him in the first well, place? Well I just
1: explained they want to play Petana as their first ruckman. Oh yeah, okay. Which sorry. moves DeConing forward. In a combination, they want to try to go back to the, the forward pocket, the um, Luke Jackson, Steve Alessio sort of role with Deconing out of the pocket alongside Kerno and uh, Mackay. Uh, you're right. Wet, slippery, Adelaide, night game. Don't think it worked. They probably missed Silvani's versatility. But they've got to get Hewitt. They've got to get Martin. They've got to get Williams back into that side urgently. And while you focused on... The, the big name of Crips getting 41, there's three, in inverted commas, with respect, no names, Josh Worrell, Nick Murray and Jordan Butts. Like, let, let's ask the punters out there to give us a thumbnail sketch on those three boys. Well, they formed the nucleus of the back line that held Mackay and Kerno and De Koning to, I think, uh, only... 16 disposals, oh, no, that was De Koenig and Pittenay, only 16 disposals, only took nine marks. And Kerno got two goals and Mackay won. They were outstanding in their defensive roles.
0: I must be in a very infantile mood because when you said Jordan Butts, I immediately thought of that gag where you ring up a bar and ask if Seymour Butts is there. <laughs> So I think they do that in the Simpsons. Um, interesting times for the Blues. Like you said, yeah. Hewitt, Hewitt Martin, Williams to come back. I always get worried when sides start ringing lots of changes close to the finals. This is a time of year you want to be starting to really bed down your your side and not have have minimal changes, isn't it? Carlton are just in that position where they're thinking, uh, him, this guy or this guy. You know, It's not ideal for them, is it, just quickly? no.
1: Nah. And Rowan, this is a podcast. If we were on Viney's final siren or the three of us were on um, Talkback Radio, the question I would be asking has the Deconing, does he deserve to be moved out of the first ruck for Pitt and A? What is the value? Do Carlton people think Pitt and A is a critical component of this team?
0: And then we'd be taking lots of talkback calls, no doubt, uh, for some uh, 28 different sponsors if it was a certain radio station. Correct. We'd We'd actually have one caller. (laughs) Every 10 minutes before about 58 (laughs) minutes of ads. Uh, All right. uh, What's happening next week for these two? So for the Crows, uh, can they follow up that win? Well, uh, a good chance. Uh, They have got a game against West Coast in Perth. That one, 4.10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time Sunday afternoon. And a massive challenge to the Blues. Now, you mentioned their run. It is really tough. They have got Brisbane next week. 3.20 p.m. Sunday afternoon at the Gabba. Week Mm. after that, they've got Melbourne at the MCG. And, of course, that massive uh, Sunday afternoon round 23 clash against Collingwood at the MCG. So I tell you what, if the Blues do end up in a decent spot in the eight, they will certainly have earned it because this run home will definitely test them. All right. That was the Saturday agenda. Time now to talk about the three games on Sunday. First cab off the rank on Sunday afternoon was up at Metricon stadium. Uh, the battle of the coasters, the gold and the West taking each other on and I'll tell you what, uh, let's be honest, we weren't banking a lot on this game, but um, actually ended up being a good game to watch and a thrilling finish too with Gold Coast just getting over the line by three points against a very plucky West Coast. And we've given them a lot of stick this year, so credit where it's due. Final scores, Gold Coast 16-11, 107, just hanging on against the Eagles who finished 16-8. 104 the goal kickers 5 to or Orchard what a season he's had for the Suns 3 to Isaac Rankin a real coming of age for him this year too 2 to Mal Roses he's made a difference to them as well and 2 to Sharp for the Eagles Jack Darling a, car- a equal career best haul of 6 goals he was terrific 3 to Jack Petracelli Rob Jeez, he's quick <laughs> Oh, sorry, I, I wasn't sure if you got to come in with that or not. <laughs> no, two, I, was dayd-
1: I was daydreaming.
0: It's all right. Two, two to Redden and two to Flying Ryan for the Eagles. Bottom line, uh, the flame still flickers for the Gold Coast. Uh, they got out to a 37-point lead in this game late in the second quarter. Now, I don't know if they just sort of sat back a bit or the Eagles just got their act together, probably a bit of both. That lead was whittled back to about 13 in the third quarter. They then got a wriggle on again and were five goals plus up early in the fourth quarter. But the Eagles rattled home a seven-goal last quarter for West Coast. Jake Waterman kicked a goal uh with 45 seconds left on the clock to get them within three points. Uh the Suns won uh what well, the decisive final wasn't the final set of actually, went forward. Mal Roses kicked a, a really cool uh, headed goal to win the game. But even that wasn't it because it, literally as the siren rang, the Eagles kicked the final goal of the game. That was uh, Jermaine Jones. Uh, so three-point win to the Suns. They've lost some close ones, so uh, relieved to get another close
1: win at home on the board, but a really entertaining game, uh, Robert. Well, I think you've summed it up well. Not a big ticket item on the uh, must watch games, but uh, look, it was interesting to see how um, like Rankin had three on the board early. Um, look, I'm not sure whether West Coast Eagles are in the um, in the uh, the critical planning phase of what's been a, a quite an extraordinary year from them, but. Um, the, the two weeks before he's had and, um who did a really good defensive job on him, and the week before it was uh, Essendon's Kelly did a good job on him. So I think they've let him off the hook there. and that You're could talking it. about Rankin? Yeah, let Rankin off the hook there and uh, freed him up a little bit without really close attention. But I qualify that by saying um, I don't think the Eagles have the personnel at the moment to allocate – such a specific defensive option, and probably had to play their own game a bit more. But it was costly early, as you said. Well, the Suns have improved everywhere, haven't they? Uh, most obviously, I guess, up forward,
0: where they really have some firepower now, don't they? Five goals to Chole, uh, one to Casbolt, ranking at their feet. Imagine if they had had Ben King this season, Chole, King, and Casbolt. They are really going to test sides next year, you think. I mean, presuming King comes back okay from that reconstruction. They're more solid in defence as well. But I think uh, let's not underestimate the um, greater numbers jumping on board midfield too. Last year, it was Tooke Miller and Tooke Miller pretty much. Uh, Plenty of help this year. We've seen Matt Rowe come back into some decent form, but... I think we've seen Noah Anderson go to another level this year too. He was terrific. So Miller today, 31 disposals, 16 clearances, 10 tackles. Jeez, he's good. But Anderson, 29 disposals, six clearances, not far behind. Each of those two also had three direct goal assists. So um, everyone chipping in board. And I think this is the most encouraging thing for the Suns, isn't it, that the improvement—we're not just seeing it. Oh, you know, they're, they're kicking more goals, or this guy's come good. It is an across-the-board improvement, isn't it? They are more solid
1: in every part of the ground now than they were twelve months ago. And they're able to allocate. You know, you spoke about Anderson and Miller in those clearance roles and attacking roles, and 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 they're able to just throw round the challenge of Kelly for a while. We, we you know, it was uh, well documented what happened to Kelly last week, four possessions, two kicks, two handballs. He got away and he got into the mid-20s. I think he might have got to 28. But early on, it was a really good battle with him and Matt Rao. So they were prepared to put a bit of work in and um, uh, and not go all attacking. So I'm pleased to see that phase in uh, Matt Rao's development, Ron. Just uh, I want a, a quick sort of uh, shout-out to the Eagles, a bit of support here, because...
0: That middle part of a season, they were awful. I mean, they were getting belt. you know, in successive weeks, they got beaten by 100 points, 75, 74, 52, 101. Um, You know, that was absolutely the low point. But if you have a look at the margins of defeat from about round 14 onwards, okay, they lost to Geelong by 18, competitive. Uh, Lost to Essendon, uh, sorry, beat Essendon, their second win. Uh, lost to the Tigers by 35, weren't great against Carlton at home, that was a bit of a shocker, lost to Hawthorne by 25, lost to St Kilda by 28, um, and just lost this week by three points. So they have been more competitive, um, and I don't think things are quite as bleak with an eye to the future as you would have said a couple of months ago.
1: Well, uh, they've also got a – probably not darling, but uh, I, it's interesting that they want Hearn to continue on, I thought he may have put the queue in the rack after a wonderful career and there's still the discussion to be had with Kennedy. Um, we've always questioned what are the young players coming through, Rowan. Mm. It seems to be that the older players, Gaff, Her, you know, Darling, Kennedy, Nat Nui, um, back from, you know, a, a long, long time out, uh, it seems to be lifted by the senior so, senior players. So, I've still question marked the emergence of exciting young players, which which is the hallmark of improving um, from the sort of year they've had, like, yep. like the other sides, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. No, I think that's a, a very fair point. Um, I think there is very big question marks about their future still. But, um, you know, perhaps they're not going to be the easy beats for the next few years we uh, were automatically assuming only uh, a few weeks back. All right, let's talk about uh, next week for both these sides. The Suns, they are on a road trip to Launceston where they play Hawthorne on Saturday afternoon, that one at 1.45pm. 1. The Eagles, they are back at home, Optus Stadium, 4.10pm Eastern Standard Time, Sunday afternoon for the final game of Round 21, that one against Adelaide. All right. That was the first game of Sunday. The second one was a ripper. Well, major ramifications of both teams in this game. It uh, promised to be enthralling, and it was. It was a fantastic contest, and in the end, won narrowly by Richmond, seven-point victors against Brisbane, who remain winless at the MCG since 2014. That is 11 straight losses on the ground now. And tell you what, you thought for all the world that they were going to break that uh, sequence because late in the second quarter, they led this game by no fewer than 42 points. Biggest comeback of the season, this win by the Tigers. The final scores, Richmond 15-14, 104, defeating Brisbane 14-14. 13 97. The goals. Wow, what a difference this guy's made in a few short weeks. Noah Cumberland, five goals to Richmond, the man who sparked the comeback, arguably. Four goals to Tom Lynch, valuable in he was. Two to Shay Bolton, big last quarter from him. Two to Jack Rewalt, singles the rest. For Brisbane, who did all their damage early, four to Eric Hipwood three to Joe Danner on fire in that first quarter, two to Charlie Cameron, two to McCarthy, singles, the rest. Well, where do you start with this game? So much happened. Brisbane kicked the first six goals. They were absolutely on fire. A seven-goal first term for them. But uh, Richmond, just given a little spark right at the end there, their first goal kicked by Cumberland, I'll tell you what, though, without wanting to quibble, that should have been holding the ball. He he had it for about five minutes, was able to bust through about four (laughs) tackles, still allowed to keep going. Uh, Great snap, though, and then he got a second with a free kick down the field. So just gave Richmond some skin in the game. Brisbane stayed strong, though, and shortly before halftime, the gap was 42 points. The Tigers, though, didn't. Throw in the towel. I kept coming. Six goals to two in the third quarter. Brought it back to 11 points. And then the last quarter, another four goals to just one by the line. So in the second half, 10-8, Richmond kicked to Brisbane's 3-7. So much happened in the last quarter. Goals to Bolton, a goal to Lynch. Rioli, a goal on the run, Daniel Rioli, that is, giving richmond the lead for the first time with just under 10 minutes left to play uh neck and neck from that moment on both sides missing opportunities jack graham hits the post with a minute 14 left gave richmond the lead after scores were level and then literally in the final minute of play darcy gardner for brisbane marking defense trying to keep the ball moving and it's hard to point the finger too much at him but um just a little chip going awry intercepted by Trent Cochin He chipped the ball forward to Tom Lynch, who kicked a goal to give the Tigers an unassailable seven-point lead with 13 seconds left on the clock. Shea Bolton, massive last quarter. He ended up with 24 disposals, two goals, 12 score involvements, and Tom Lynch, four, two in the last quarter. Decisive.
1: Terrific game, Robert. Uh, did you enjoy it? Uh, on the edge of the seat, literally, uh, loved every minute of it. And um, this is the most notes I've written in a game this year. <laughs> I've got arrows and crosses and whiteout going left, right and centre. So, folks, if I go all over the place, you'll understand the excitement of this game. I want to touch on Kieran Coleman first, Rowan. Yep. Um, Richmond, I think, with their own worst enemy. And people will explain it to me one day. I don't understand why and Essendon used to do it under fault, and to an extent, and he used to drive me mad. You push your half-forward flanker up to a stoppage or on the other side of the stoppage, it leaves the likes of Daniel Rich and, in this state, Coleman free. He had 20 in the first half. Yes. He was a dominant player without a man. Now, we've seen this happen with Whitfield. I don't understand, and, yes, they, you know, I can be labelled a don, I don't understand how you allow the best user of the ball coming off halfback to that happen. Now, go back, go to the other end of the scale. Now, we'll we'll talk about Chris Fagan. how they cannot see Shay Bolton nearly single-handedly lifting the Richmond Tigers to what was an improbable victory from their position in the grandstand. So a... a Couple of wobbly ones from, from the from a couple of experienced coaches and 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 Bolton was extraordinary. In the second half, they Richmond started Tyler Sonsi on Coleman. He's yep. gone from 20 to 10 in the second half. You don't think that's significant? I think it's extremely significant. Well, I
0: guess the other obvious area the Tigers really tightened up to was uh, in defense because uh, I mean, it proved, today really proved how much a barometer Joe Danner is for Brisbane. Uh, I mean, he was just on fire early. Hipwood was dangerous. Richmond didn't seem to have the, the answers. And they, they seemed off too. I've got to say, that first quarter, um, I, I was almost about to tweet, I think Richmond had just about done and dusted because there was oh, no yeah. no sign of that typical Richmond Pressure was there, but, jeez, no, uh, I just rolled say, it turnover,
1: out. turnover Tigers allowed space, nothing like Melbourne's pressure. Mm. Tigers, I wrote, Tigers just jointed in their ball moving, missed shots. Turnover Tigers, too much space allowed for the likes of McCluggage and those blokes. You're spot on. Well, keep going with your notes. How many have you got no, left? No, oh, another page and a half. Well, um, go on. You, you spoke about... Um, uh, Lynch and um, Rewalt were held early, but they forced their way. Their marking in the conditions was exceptional, and and they're uh, not just marking, but critical marks. Uh, Hipwood was on Miller. Now Miller's learning his game, and um, they really exposed him and isolated him. But they put broad across to Hipwood, and Tarrant is a very experienced player, and um, he's he put the clamps back on Joe Danaher, and. Uh, they ended up turning that around, in in because they looked so dangerous. Hipwood and Denner. They still got the seven between them round, which at the start of the game you'd be happy. But they got them early, and mm. especially Joe was on fire. Um, yeah, throw something at me, mate. Oh well, I'm prepared to
0: say. I mean, I think I've said this weeks ago. Anyway, Brisbane cannot win the premiership. Now, they were good today for, for you know, like you'll you look at it and say, well, they just got run over. But they have to win at the MCG. They can't win at the MCG. They can't win at the MCG against a side that is just going to scrape into the eight or, or still might not even make it. Um, how are they going to win on the MCG against the likes of Geelong and Melbourne? Simple answer, they're not. They cannot win the flag.
1: One of the, yeah. No, it, it it was a fragile. You could see it was coming. Yeah. You know when you watch a game and it, it come it, this mist comes out of the the screen at you and you're going, I can sense this. Something's yeah. gonna
0: Yep. Well I um, felt that I had that feeling in the last quarter of the Collingwood Essendon game last <laughs> week.
1: I got it again <laughs> today. One of the great matchups and I don't think it was on early, but certainly Rioli Cameron in the last quarter was uh, that was extraordinary. Um, Cameron looked like turning the game and Rioli isolated in defence, deep in defence on Charlie Cameron where no-one wants to be. He made some critical saves and I thought Daniel Rioli was an outstanding player when the pressure was on. But when the pressure was on, it was Cochin, right? It was Bolton lifting. It was the experience of Lynch. So their experienced players really lifted. Uh, Jack Graham was physical. Uh, I'll tell you who else was good. Uh, well, he is good, and that was Vlaston. He was outstanding across half-back. So you've got this core of Richmond players that have lifted this side up, got him over the line, and then you've got this outstanding – how many games do you reckon he's played, Cumberland, right? uh, Midseason, uh, I think five or, five or six now. Mate, he's kicked five goals on that lovely left foot he's got to really complement uh, the, the the work done by the senior players. Big question marks. I know Carlton, I think, are going next week. So what an absolute crunch game to the Gabba next week against Brisbane. I just thought this game had everything and um, what under the Tigers, 42 points down. Yep, Uh, terrific. And uh, Cumberland now, uh,
0: 11 goals from just four games. Uh, He was the medical sub in his first game. So... Uh, What did I just say? How am I going? Six, 11 goals from four games. It's close to averaging three goals per game. Pretty handy first uh, few games in league footy. Well, the Tigers, two points outside the eight. Uh, Big test for them next week. Port Adelaide now basically out of finals contention, but they have got the power in Adelaide. That game, 7.40 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Saturday evening. The Lions, well, uh, they will be cursing, and they have a game back at the Gabba against Carlton, but Carlton will be desperate to win to Their place in the eight starting to look a bit precarious. That game is at 3.20 p.m. Sunday afternoon. Big stakes attached. It was a great game. One game remaining in round 20. Let's talk about that one now. Last game of the weekend was at Marvel Stadium. Battle of the co-tenants, Essendon and North Melbourne. Battle of two pretty disappointing teams too in 2022, you have to say. Uh, pretty easy win to the Bombers in the end by eight goals and even eight goals, 48 points. The final scores: is Essendon 17-12, 114, defeating North Melbourne 9-12-66. For the Bombers. Well, he's uh, had some off days, but he was very much on today. Jake Stringer, five goals to the package, uh, making a big difference in his return to the senior lineup. James Stewart, who kicked three. Harry Jones kicked two. One that counted last week, but he kicked two today. And two to Kyle Langford, two also to two metre Peter Wright, singles the rest for the Ruse, four to Cam Zerha. Plugging away without much support, it's got to be said. Singles, the rest for the Roos. Well, pretty cruisy win this to the Bombers. Never seriously threatened. Five goals to two in that first term. Uh, Won the second quarter as well on four goals up at halftime. Another four goals to two in the third term. And then another four goals to two in the last quarter. So one every quarter. Gradually built their lead. Uh, North Melbourne, yeah, pretty disappointing. Really not much uh, pressure going on in this game at all, Rob, but uh, a bit of an anomaly here, and that was the, and not a good sign for the Roos either, you've got to say, the ease with which they won some of the key stats. In fact, uh, we're going to swap roles here because you've jotted these key stats down. Hit
1: hitters with them. What are they? Well, the total clearances were 42-22 to 22 in North's favour a Domination 20 to 6 in the centre square. Um, so around the ball, in every stoppage situation, uh, they had a clear dominance. Now, that didn't transfer to the scoreline, and you have to have a look that Davis Uniaki, um, uh, Simkin was excellent in there, uh, Essendon lost Caldwell, and they didn't have Shield, they didn't have Parrish. So, they're two clearance players, so um, or McGrath. Or McGrath. So it's quite understandable. Goldstein was certainly very competitive in that area of the ground, but it didn't transfer. Uh, they also won the contested ball. But as you said, they won it 122 to 107. But as you made, the point was uh, there was no pressure. So that, that worked in Essence favour, who dominated the uncontested ball. I thought North's only chance was to produce one of those rare games where they re- like that Sydney game where they really applied pressure but they didn't have the personnel to do it um Essendon dominated uh, the marks inside 50 which is understandable and I, and I want to talk about this for a cup uh, for a minute or so Rowan. Uh, there's a lot of discussion about resting Phillips who I like I mm. like the combination but all these other teams that are progressing and I can even go back to um you know, look, Draper and Wright aren't exactly Gorn and Jackson. But, but I, I'm even going to take you back to Barnes and Alessio. I, I like the second Ruckman to be a legitimate forward. And mm. I think today Essendon have put out to see how Stuart would go with Wright the second Ruckman. We can't be, even though he's had a terrific year, we cannot be relying, teams cannot rely on Peter Wright, as good as he's been, as the one target with a young developing centre forward. So I think it was. It will be tested. I would have liked to see it against Port Adelaide. I would like to see it against Richmond with the way those teams defend. But certainly on paper, it's spread the goal kicking. It's taken pressure off Stringer and Jones 2, Stewart 3, and right to, is an excellent contribution. So I hope that's what they've done it for. And if they did in this particular game, it's worked very nicely for them.
0: Uh, Zach Merritt, terrific again. 38 disposals, 10 tackles. Best on ground, though, for me. And almost the biggest plus in Essendon's entire year, I reckon. Mason Redman. Jeez, he's been good. 32 disposals off halfback. What we've seen, he's really added a a creative attacking string to his bow, but I like the way he's got the balance right between defence and attack, and he's a strong presence. You know what? I was thinking, I'm not 100% sure he isn't, but if he's not in the leadership group there, he should be for next year because he is a genuine leader, and that's something Essendon is
1: perilously short of. Do you agree? Absolutely agree. He's the one that sort of physically and emotionally uh, picked up the side in the second half of the year and carried. He's missed some with injury. But I would like to think nothing against Zach Merritt. Parrish has had a great year but missed a lot of games. Stringer's in and out. Wright's been very good. I would hope we see a reward at the Crichton medal for mm. Mason Redmond. Mm. And and that's no disrespect to the another excellent year of consistency from Zach Merritt. But maybe we need Essendon. A Redmond to pinch it and make a statement along the lines of what you've just said. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think uh, just
0: quickly a couple of other big pluses over the last month or so for Essen and Brandon Zirk Thatcher. I had my doubts about him, but I think he's been. I think he's been really solid the last few weeks and
1: really good today on Nick Larky. Like and, like Laverde early on in the season, not yeah. persevered with, not given confidence, and not not shown enough love. Langford. Early in his career, Laverde in and out and Brandon Zirk Thatcher, always the first dropped. It is amazing what happens if you say, mate, I've got a spot for you and I'm going to back you in.
0: Yeah. And and they're
1: getting a reward for it. The
0: other one who's really starting to impress me is Hobbs. I think he's just got a, a maturity about him. He's just solid, you know. He doesn't get rattled easily. He keeps plugging away. I think he's a keeper as well. So. Look, not without pluses of playing list. Yes, we keep saying there are other issues here. Look, we, we need to talk about North. Um, it has been a terribly disappointing year for them. Uh, you'd still think they're more likely than not to end up with the wooden spoons. Is there any light at the end of a tunnel for them?
1: They had too many out. They had quite a few out. Um, they lost the important haul-off halfback. Um, it was a one-string forward line with uh, Zerhaar. Uh, of course, doing a very good job on Kelly. Kelly's been in quite reasonable form. It's still Davies uniac It's still Simkin in and around the middle. This is a side lacking personnel. Um, but I must say, uh, Mackay did a good job. I was pleased, uh, you know, pleased with his job. Uh, down, down back he's been a solid contributor when he's been available he's been in and out of that side a few few times but no, they're a fair way off it and got a long way to go and it's going to be a very interesting coaching selection because i don't think clarkson will take it there you go oh okay well we might
0: talk more about that in our midweek show Uh, North next week, they are at Marvel Stadium again, 1.10pm Sunday afternoon. Tough opponent. They have got Sydney, of course, in the top four now, the Swans. Essendon are going to Giant Stadium Saturday afternoon to play GWS, that one, at 2.10pm. And that is it for round 20. Some uh, major moves on the ladder. Happening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that thorough summary of all nine games. Uh, We are every week proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Get tackle busting benefits all this AFL season thanks to our podcast partners, Palmerbet. And we thank them very much for their support. We thank all you out there for your support as well. You can support us financially at the uh, ACAST supporter page, and you'll find a link to that wherever you listen to this uh, podcast in the show description, or you can uh, or also become a footyology, official footyology patron at one of the many links to Patreon on the footyology website. And Patreon are a wonderful supporter of independent media and publishing. Uh, check out the footyology website if you haven't already. Some great reading on that. Shane Hope's Wrapper the round really knows his footy, Shane, and he wraps up each round comprehensively each week. That's something you don't find a lot of in mainstream media anymore, so check that out at footyology.com.au. Some other good reads there as well, and you'll be able to find a link to this podcast too if you struggle to find it elsewhere. That is it for uh, this particular show. We'll be back midweek for a thorough preview of round uh, 21. Thank you for your contribution once again, Robert. Thank you, Rowan. And uh, we'll see everyone in the middle of the week. Cheerio.